citizens of Creep City, my name is Matt Shacha, and I'm coming at you over the airwaves of the internet. This is Radio for the Creeps. Tonight on Radio for the Creeps, we're going to be talking about a movie called Becky. Um, this movie came out uh, streaming and in drive-ins across the country during the COVID-19 situation while we're all sheltered in, at home. Um, it's a home invasion movie starring Kevin James in a serious role, not just a serious role, but a serious bad guy, and Lulu Wilson as the title character, Becky. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's jump right into Becky. We're going to do a little something different this time, though. We're going to talk about the movie, um, hopefully spoiler-free, to start the show off. Um, toward the midway point of the show, I will signal when we're going to get into spoiler territory and then we're going to talk about some more things that uh you know maybe some of you might want to check out for and then revisit once you've seen it if you choose to see it or however you want to handle that but i figure the best way to do this is going to be to talk about the film without any spoilers and then we'll come back around and then we'll do you know at once we're at the midway point we'll do the rest from there out where we can get into spoiler territory to protect anybody who's planning to watch it For starters, um, the story itself revolves around a teenager's weekend at a lake house that gets interrupted by some escaped convicts who break into the home and terrorize her family. I would say that that's the safest explanation I can give without any spoilers. Um, Obviously, Becky being the title of the film, the young girl Becky, it's the story revolves around her and it's a revenge kind of story where um, early on, you know, these um, ex-convicts that break in, they're white supremacists, first of all, which uh, makes it real easy to root against them. You know, Becky starts going to town on them, and it's kind of like, it's real easy to be like, yeah, get them. Um, And we're going to go into some of that in in the the spoiler segment, but for now, let's keep it clear of that. Um, Once they break in and they start, you know, and the, the, the action kind of starts unfolding, you start realizing very early on that Becky is a little more than she seems. Um, but it's a really interesting story because, you know, uh, the, the film starts out very early on. You realize that Becky's mom is no longer with her and that's leaving Becky with some real kind of, I mean, you know, being a teenager is already tough, right? So being a teenager with all of those hormones and emotions and things going around in your head is already tough. But like coming into teenage years and having just lost your mom, well, I say just lost. It seems like it's still a fairly, a fairly fresh wound. I'm not sure exactly how long, how much time has elapsed from the death of her mom to when we're catching up with her. But anyhow, um, so Becky's a teenager who loses her mom and kind of is, is wrestling with the emotions and all of that, that that goes along with not just being your average teenager, but also being a teenager and a, a broken now home minus one parent with a dad for a widow, a widower for a dad and, and on and on. Um, what I think is really interesting about it is that impressionable age. And, um, I think that there's, there's some points, uh, we'll cover more later on where that impressionable age and that rage really just kind of like, um, you know, frustration, anybody who's been a teenager, AKA all of us, uh, if we're over the age of 18, this is an explicit podcast. Please don't listen unless you're over the age of 18. We say fuck shit a lot. So, um, yeah, anybody who's gone through that knows that you're kind of a ball of rage already. You know, you have all these weird things going on in your life and you don't know how to make heads or tails out of it. And every now and then you just want to break something, you know? And, um, 
I think the point that, um, you know, the Becky character definitely seems to be a little lost after the loss of her mom, you know, um, trying to make sense of how, like how that could be right in the world. And that leads to some of that frustration and anger, you know, I'm lucky. I still have both of my parents, but anybody who loses a parent, um, at that young to a disease, like it, it seems like the mom, um, you know, bad was battling some type of cancer there. It's not explicitly stated, but it seems that the mom's battle was battling some type of cancer. And I mean, that's always the kind of thing for a young person to try and figure out like, why my mom, why at this time, why, you know, why is it going to take her and all of those complex emotions that go along with it, that grief process, you know, eventually gets its way around to anger. And at that, that age, you know, being a ball of rage already, you can see through the conversations with her father on the way to the lake house that she's a raw nerve still. And there are little things that he says to her that just trigger her and, and set her off. And it's because she is a walking time bomb of, you know, pent up um, emotions and hostility and anger and confusion over a variety of things. Like I said, not just being your average teenager, but also being a teenager who has now lost their mother. So as I said, uh, this, the film's kind of a home invasion movie and without getting into any spoilers, I will say that, um, the, the convicts, the white supremacist convicts that escape, they're looking for something and the item that they're looking for it's made pretty clear pretty early on that it's in the house. Becky has um, kind of snatched it up from her, her lake house as a child and just, you know, as kids do, they collect things they find in walls and so on and so forth. So um, Becky has it, they want it. We'll talk a little more about this later on in the second half of the show. Um, and one of the main complaints I see from people who have seen the film is that they never really explain the purpose of this item. Now, I don't know about you, but like I'm a huge uh, like Lucio Fulci and David Lynch and abstract kind of I'm a, an abstract film kind of fan. Um, I'm good with that. Like I'm OK with films leaving much more to the imagination than just an object that one person wants and another person has. So like I'm totally OK with it. But I also think that it was an interesting choice because it seemed to me like maybe they left that ambiguous for good reason. And so then I started trying to like I started going down that rabbit hole. Like why would they leave something like a central plot point ambiguous, you know, um, in an otherwise pretty straightforward film? Um, to be to be clear here, I don't I, I feel like we can get into some of the other subtle things under the surface there. I think that there's some interpretations that could be valid. But I also think that um, for all intents and purposes, if you're going to watch this movie, you're going to watch it for a lot of style, a lot of flair, and uh, a good helping of like blood and guts kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of good violence and, and brutality and some gore. Um, and it's, but it's the kind of movie where those things, that's the basis of the film. And I think that's okay. I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, well, it's got to be elevated. Otherwise, I won't waste my time. You know, I'm not one of those guys. So, uh, I, I like it for what it is. It's a very stylish, brutal movie. Um, but getting back to that, um, the item that the white supremacist jerk-offs are looking for that Becky has, um, I thought it was interesting to leave it ambiguous. And I thought it was good to leave it ambiguous because it felt like that ambiguity meant, look, we're not going to try and explain away. We're not going to try and give anything that will make you feel any kind of understanding for the, the white supremacist characters. We don't want to, you know, 
we don't want to detail this item because we don't want anyone out there to somehow maybe sympathize or understand, well, this is why they need it. No, cut and dry. They want a thing. She has a thing. They did terrible shit to try and get it, and she's going to do terrible shit back to them, period. And I like that. I think that's great. Um, another way to look at it could just be as simple as, you know, um, the white supremacist characters in this, Kevin James plays one of them, uh, Dominic, he plays the lead one, kind of like the burly boss guy. Um, all of these like white supremacist convicts and, and shit that are looking for this item, they have a, a an air of like importance about them. And, and I don't know, I mean, you know, that's a common thing in like cult and um, group think hive mind kind of uh, scenarios where you usually have a charismatic leader who convinces everybody else of these grand designs that they're all a part of. And that's a huge part of cult, um, kind of how cults kick off and, and, and how they work. Um, usually their leader, like I said, very charismatic kind of person that can bring in damaged and wounded people and manipulate them, um, can manipulate their loyalty and things like that and make them believe in some higher purpose. It's, you know, it's not unlike um, some of the, you know, um, the more out there religious stuff where, you know, you have somebody say, you know, who, who can get up there and, and promise you all the things that you need and like all these divine powers. And, you know, I mean, in my opinion, convince you of a fairy tale in order to get you to fall in line behind them. Um, so I think the symbolism of the item, let's, I don't really feel like it's a spoiler at this point. Let's just say it's a key but it's like a weirdo old big huge metal key. It's not a key like, you know, like for the deadbolt of your apartment. It's some weird ornate key and and the white supremacists are like we need that key to save all of mankind and whatever. Yeah. They don't explain how they're going to save mankind with it. It's just super important that they get that key, which is a typical like groupthink cult kind of um, mentality, you know, like we all got to drink this Kool-Aid and die so that the world can go on, you know, they they there's always some grand scheme that they're a major part of that they can't really explain to you all the way. Just got to trust us on it. Have some Kool-Aid. Um, so yeah, they want this key and in the process and, and, uh, the Becky character played by Lulu Wilson again, um, doesn't necessarily, I mean, it, it seems like in the beginning of the film, her, um, reaction toward this key is, is from a place of just like, well, that's a cool thing that I found in my house, you know, like, like, a, like any little kid would if they stumbled across something weird in the wall, you know? Um, uh, but the more that these guys want it and the more, you know, fucked up things that they do in the process of trying to obtain it, the more she's like, well, no, I'm not going to give you what I want, what you want rather. And I think that by leaving it ambiguous there, it also, it opens it up to so many different types of interpretations. Like, is this just the rebellious side of her? Is this the backlash because of, the, you know, the, and again, spoiler free, we'll talk about it more in detail in a minute. Um, is this just the rebellious side, the backlash of her being like, you did this, this, and this, and now just on principle, I'm not going to give you what you want, you know, like, um, but it's a really kind of powerful approach in that respect the lulu character it's is no holds barred off the leash doesn't give a f single fuck you know and i think that's interesting um to her again like i said the item doesn't even have to be all that significant she just knows these guys want it and they did some terrible shit to get it and she's not going to let them win period and i really think that's a great way to sum it up at a certain point it's, it's just becomes clear 
that um, Becky, I think in a, a moment ago I referred to her as Lulu. That's the actress's name, apologies. Um, the Becky character um, at a certain point just realizes, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to stand up to you. And I, and I think there is as much as I <laughs> earlier in the podcast, I said, I'm not the elevated horror guy who has to try and find greater meaning and everything. And now I'm sitting here kind of like in a way, I think finding some type of little, sm- you know, smaller kind of a inkling of a greater meaning here, but still, I mean, that's my interpretation. You know, you're free to tell me I'm nuts, but yeah, I think that, you know, there's something really cool in that. The nugget of the story, like we talk about a lot on this is, uh, you know, you ran into a literal storm in a little human. Um, you ran into a storm in a 13 year old girl, uh, and you thought you were going to push her around and she's got, she's got news for you. You know, and I think that's, there's something to that. And I don't think we need to know what the key is for because, I mean, they're, they're fucking neo-Nazis. I mean, what could the key be for? You know, it's probably for like some box that somebody told this guy had Hitler's underpants in it or something stupid like that that they just need to have and they think that's going to turn them into super soldiers. Who cares? They're neo-Nazis. Who gives a fuck? Like, that key is not going to help you out, bro. You're fucking damaged. So, uh, basically, yeah, keep it Lulu. <laughs> One other thing that I think is important to note as well with this film is that uh, it, it's interesting to see Kevin James and Joel McHale in serious movies. Um, you know, Joel McHale, not as much as Kevin James, because, I mean, you know, even when you look at, like, the listing for Kevin James in this film, it's, you know how they put the name of the actor and then in parentheses, like, some films that they were in? They were like, well, Becky stars Kevin James, and then in parentheses it says Paul Blart, Mall Cop, and King of Queens. You know, like that's pretty out there for Kevin James, but I mean, for, you know, for what it's worth, I think he did a good job of it. I think that there was a moment, um, again, I'll get more into it in the spoiler section, but, but there's a moment with some gore and some blood and guts and, and the way it played, you could still see that humorous side of him, but it just, it fit well, in my opinion. Um, Joel McHale has done some serious things, you know, more so I think than Kevin James, at least. Um, in my inexperience with both actors outside of like community and uh, King of Queens, um, Joel McHale has done from what I can see some, uh, some more serious work, but he, he was uh, definitely pretty good in it, you know? Um, And, and I think it's an interesting thing where, you know, it's just further uh, down the line of comedic actors and writers and directors uh, participating in horror. And as much as Becky, that's another good thing for me to mention here. Becky is not what I would call straight up horror. It's a little more um, of an action slash thriller, I would say. Um, there, the gore level in it, I definitely think, and some of the brutality pushes it toward horror more. Um, for instance, if you're squeamish, there's a couple of scenes I can think of right off of the rip here that you're, if you're a squeamish type, you're not going to want to watch. So I definitely would recommend it to horror fans more so than just like thriller fans. Cause you know, a thriller, I'm, you know, all those Ashley Judd movies from like the nineties or early two thousands or whatever it was, those are thrillers, you know, like I'm, I'm not talking about like along came a spider and things like that. But, um, you know, I shouldn't shit on along came a spider. I don't think that I've ever actually seen it. I've just seen the movie box and remember thinking like, that looks like every other Ashley Judd movie. I wonder if they're just, maybe they're just putting the same, you know, 
same disc in the old cases in different cases, slightly different cases or something. I don't know. Maybe. So I guess maybe I'll watch along came the spider and, um, that'll be a future episode of radio for the creeps, but I'm losing track here. Uh, Becky. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Kevin James, uh, Joel McHale, not necessarily the first people you would think of when you think of horror actors. Um, as much as this is more of a horror adjacent type film that, you know, still, um, but I think they do a great job in their roles. And, um, you know, Lulu Wilson, who plays Becky, is uh, stellar in this one. Uh, there's a moment, again, that we'll discuss in a bit here where um, it's, I was telling Mrs. Shacha that it was one of my favorite moments in film. And um, we'll get through that too. So, but right about here, this is a good spot before I ramble any further. Becky, a solid home invasion thriller with um, some really good brutality, some really good gore level, some really solid performances, particular, particularly Lulu Wilson. Um, and all around, it's a good, fun movie. Um, you should definitely check it out. You can uh, actually catch it in a couple of select drive-ins around the country, which is pretty neat. If you, you know, if you pull it up and there's many resources right now with what drive-ins are running it. So, you know, pull it up for your home state, uh, pull up the movie, search for the, you know, the drive-in listings and, and grab one in your town if you can, or you can rent it on prime. I think it's like six bucks right now on prime in HD. Um, it's got a bang in soundtrack too. The uh, soundtrack and sound design is actually really, really solid to the point where like 10 minutes into the movie, I'm like, well, when can we get this on vinyl? Because uh, the soundtrack's really solid for this one. And the sound design is really neat. There's a moment with these like <sighs> deep breath type things going on that work into the music and work into the scene. And it's just, I thought that was really, really stylish and well done. Um, you know, it's a, it's a movie that, again, like I had said earlier, I think a lot of people are kind of criticizing the fact that there's not some like greater subtext or, you know, deeper meaning in there, but, um, I'm okay with that. I, I think that I find my own kind of moments to identify or understand in, in that way. And, and I'm okay with that. I don't have to, I don't have to have like the talking point at the wine and cheese party about it. Um, and I know I sound like a jerk saying that, but I mean, come on, it doesn't need to be elevated horror every damn time. Sometimes I just want to see, you know, some gore guts and some kills and, and have a good old time and, you know, yell at the screen and, and call it a night. And, um, Becky will definitely give you that. Uh, this movie is definitely a lot of fun. It's very stylish, stylishly shot. And, uh, the soundtrack and sound design is really cool. As well as, like I said, some great gore, some great moments, some great lines. Um, definitely worth a watch. So uh, please do support these, um, you know, these titles that come out early. I mean, let's be honest. We're all movie fans. That's what we talk about here every week and all that. We're all fans of movies and specifically horror movies. And, uh, you know, I do have to note that this whole COVID situation has got to be a real bitch for the people making these movies. So when they do pop them out early, I mean, five, six bucks throw the five, six bucks in and check out the film. You know, um, I think you'll find something in it that's more than worth your six bucks sitting on your couch, screaming at your TV going, oh shit. So yeah, rent Becky. Now we're going to switch it up here and we're going to talk a little bit further, but I want to warn everybody, this is the spoiler zone. So just know going into this, when we hit this, we just passed the 20 minute mark. We're heading into spoiler territory. If you haven't watched it yet and you don't want anything spoiled, now's a good time to pause it and return to the podcast after you do. 
Now, I want to clarify one thing before I move on, because um, I kind of feel like I shit on, like, the um, analytical horror fans or whatever, and I, I don't mean that to be the thing. First off, I do have a problem with the term elevated horror. Um, I think it's corny, and I think it's shitty, because when you say elevated horror, you know, in order for something to be elevated, you're implying that the rest of it is down here while you're up here. So there's this like already just the the terminology alone is is problematic for me because it implies that one is better than the other, you know, um, and I don't, I think that there's merits in both. Um, the the jokes I make about the, oh, it's got to have a greater subtext and, you know, blah, 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 in order for me to appreciate it. Um, the jokes I make about that are the people who can't sit down and just watch a popcorn movie. You know what I, so I think, I think the, I think the citizens of Creep City get me on this one. I don't think I'm way off the mark here that I'm, I'm okay with watching, uh, you know, something that a lot of like some more art house kind of horror films, just as I'm okay watching Sleepaway Camp 3. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, I mean, Return of the Living Dead is my favorite horror movie. I love movies like Street Trash and shit like that. I don't think that every movie we watch needs to be, you know, something so heavy and deep and, oh, you know, I'm going to have some fancy wine with my friends, eat cheese, and we'll talk about the greater meaning of why this person's head got cut off. I, I'm okay with just cutting off heads and, and watching horror. So, yes, uh... Elevated horror is a bullshit term, and anybody who like looks down their nose at other types of horror films, splatter films and gore fests and things like that, I don't really, I don't really respect it. I don't have a, I don't, you know, I think there's room for all of it. But now back to the topic and task at hand. Let's talk about Becky. Now again, spoiler warning, I'm going to talk about some of the, the details of Becky here. So, um, <laughs> oh, that sounds gross. I'm going to talk some of the details of the movie Becky. Um, and yeah, so we're going to get into some spoiler territory. If you haven't seen it yet, just be warned. Um, again, like I said, this isn't the heaviest of horror films. So there, you know, when I say we're going to talk in a little more detail and, and there's going to be some spoilers, I mean, there's not really, there's not some great aha moment that I'm going to spoil, but you know, I am going to give away some of the, the scares and shocks and talk about some of the gore in greater detail. Like first up, we're going to go straight into it here. Um, there is one of my favorite parts um, in a recent film. There, there's three sections in this film of just really solid gore that we're going to talk about. One of them is, you know, again, I mentioned earlier the the battle between these white power jerk-offs, uh, escape convicts. I keep wanting to just say jerk-offs because I feel like that's about the only way I should qualify them, but whatever. The white power jerk-offs, they're escape convicts. They want this key. Lulu has the key. And at one point, Kevin James's character kind of grabs hold of Lulu and she takes the key and jabs him in the fucking eye with it. It's gnarly, right? First time I watched it, it looked like she shoved it all the way into his face and like the key was hanging out of his eye socket. And I was like, oh God. And then, you know, the scene continues playing and you realize, no, she has the key. What was hanging out was his eye. So what looked like the end of the key hanging out is his eye hanging out of the socket. He goes running in the house, you know, one of his other idiot cronies, um, he's telling him, cut the guy off, just fuck it, cut it off, man, because, you know, these guys are dedicated to the cause of getting this key back and, you know, dumb, dumb white power, whatever stuff. So, um, 
yeah, so he, he runs inside and he's like, just grab a scissor, man, and cut the fucking thing off. And one of his idiot henchmen grabs, like, a little kid's safety scissor, like like from arts and crafts class, to cut, like, construction paper with. And he's gnawing at this eye. Um, the whole time, the Kevin James character is leaning forward. And, like, you know, all the, the nerve, the optic nerve and sinew shit behind an eyeball is, is what the guy's trying to cut through. And then the eyeball's on the end hanging there, dangling around. And he's just... Because these are kid scissors, you know, he's just like gnawing at it with these scissors. And Kevin James is like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and he grabs the scissors from him, realizes they're kid scissors and throws them. And I thought that was great already because that, that, I mean, that's just a good bit, you know, right? Um, no, just me. Dangling eyes is just a me thing. Um, that was a great bit already, you know, but then Kevin James lays his head down on a cutting board and just takes a kitchen knife and hacks the nerve of his own eye and throws like a piece of t-shirt over it. Really cool scene. I thought it was pretty damn well done. Um, you know, especially when he spikes the eye in the sink. I, I just thought it was really well done and really neat to see. It kind of came out of left field too, because like I said, when I the first time seeing it, I thought it was the key that I saw in his eye. And then he's walking around the house. He has his hand over it, and then all of a sudden, you know, he takes his hand away, and you see a dangly eyeball hanging out, and it's just like, fuck me, man, that's a lot. Um, later on in the film. You know, basically, again, since we're in spoiler territory, we can say the moment that really kicks all of this off and turns Lulu from, you know, she's on the walkie-talkie. She has a walkie-talkie with them, and she's on the walkie-talkie, and um, she's telling them, you know, in the beginning, she's saying, like, I called the cops, the cops are on their way, and, the, you know, Junior Hitler, Dominic character there, he he's like, I don't believe you, you didn't call anybody, and, you know, all this shit. Um, but at first, Lulu's just trying to get rid of them. She's not in, like, attack mode yet, right? Um, the moment that switches her on, that activates... Oh, I keep saying Lulu. It's Becky. I'm sorry. I keep saying Lulu because I keep thinking of the actress's name. Um, the, the moment, the catalyst moment for the Becky character that activates her is when Kevin James is torturing... Dominic is torturing uh, Joel McHale, her dad, Becky's dad. Um, so... Dominic is torturing the father. Uh, the father, he give, Dominic gives the father the microphone, the walkie-talkie, and says, "You know, go ahead and, you know, you got one thing to say. Get her over here or whatever to talk to Lulu." Again, there I go again to talk to Becky. Son of a bitch, man! Just throw the whole thing out. Let's start recording over again. Um, no, so he gives him the walkie-talkie to talk to Becky. Uh, he says, you know, you got one chance, get her over here. And so uh, the father's, you know, going through this whole thing. I know you're mad at me. Um, you know, sorry about your mom. I love you. Run like hell. And um, so she takes off trying to distract Kevin James from torturing, again, Dominic, from torturing the father. When she gets there, Kevin James shoots her dad dead in front of the, the Becky character. And that, like... There's like that whole moment of, uh, ring, ring, you know, like she goes into like psycho mode and, uh, she's like way activated, you know, um, it, it, it reminded me almost of like, a um, you know, like puberty kill bill, you know what I'm saying? Because Becky was, is like, you know, she's 13 and she's like the bride in kill bill. Like, you know, that's what I think of that. You know, she went off the rails and. She goes in, she's activated, she's in attack mode. And and a few moments later is actually the key scene where she shoves it in Kevin James's eye hole. So, um, yeah, activated Becky. Uh, you know, watched her dad die, and that's when she switches over from, like, 
hey, um, you know, I just want you to leave my family alone to, hey, I'm going to fucking murder every one of you. Um, there's another really great gore scene where she's in her clubhouse and one of the henchmen is like, come on, I know you're in there, Becky. Give me the key. I just want the key. She convinces him that she, you know, is going to throw him the key. And so she climbs on the roof of the clubhouse and she throws a coin out into the woods to make the sound. When he turns his back, she jumps on this fucking zip line. It's gnarly. She jumps on a zip line, rides the zip line down, like shoves a colored pencil in the dude's eye or neck or whatever. Then a broken ruler and she stabs him to death with like a mixture of a broken ruler and a colored pencil. It's fucking insanity. I loved it. Um, but yeah, uh, her ultimate, um, you know, sequence that you might, might have seen it in the trailer, the Dominic. The Kevin kept played by Kevin James. He comes out of the house and he goes, Becky, clearly you're a very unique kind of girl or some shit like that. Right. He's like screaming to her in the woods. Um, that sequence from the moment that he says that forward is just, it's like pure insanity. I mean, you have a little bit of everything. There's a moment where you have a pit bull, Becky's pit bull in a minivan and she's opening the door with a remote and he's just, the pit bulls just biting at Kevin James. Um, you got a moment where she runs him over with a car. You got a moment where she sprays him with a super soaker full of gasoline and lights him on fire. Um, there's a lot going. I mean, when I say brutality, man, this is this is not a long movie, but it's like from the minute that Dominic kills the father, Becky is just off the fucking leash. She is just like unmitigated rage. And um, it's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Like I said, a great way I could say it is like, you know, 13 year old kill bill, you know, she's going through a lot of things, um, you know, going through the adolescence and the, the rage and, and all the emotions that come along with that on top of that, having lost her mom on top of that, watching, um, you know, her father get gunned down by this psychopath and she just goes off the fucking rails, like blackout mode. And it's great there's a moment toward the end of the film too, where, uh, she gets the opportunity to run someone's face over with a lawnmower. So just like, you know, now that we're in spoiler zone, we can talk about all this great shit running someone's face over with a lawnmower is like, that's crazy. And what's crazy er is that when she drives away with a lawnmower, they show it. They don't, you know, this is one of those movies where they don't pull the camera away and, you know, uh, there's just like a shady area over there. So they don't have to show you the gore they show you the like half decapitation, like split face kind of gore in detail. One more thing that I found really interesting. Um, and then we'll stop, we'll get off of the bloody stuff for a minute. Um, again, just speaking in terms of pure brutality, my favorite scene in a movie, in a kind of a while. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, the quarantine talking, the fact that like, you know, we're all stuck inside. Um, we're all stuck inside. We're watching videos of terrible police brutality on social media every day. We're watching um, citizens, our our peers in this world, our, our neighbors and friends um, in the black community getting beat up and, and hurt and harmed and treated, you know, uh, all, all types of barbaric ways. Um, so there's a lot, you know, there's a lot, there's, there's death everywhere because of COVID. We're, we have a lot going on that's making the world a little raw right now. And I mean, maybe it's, it's that, but something about this, this film, the pure rage in it, I just, it hits a, a certain note for me, especially right now. Um, but anyhow, 
the, what I was getting to was there's a moment where there's one of the neo-Nazi jerk-offs. Um, he's apparently like now at this stage in his neo-Nazism realizing that, hey, maybe I shouldn't be such a terrible human being. And he's having this conflict of like conscience. And you see it kind of bubble up at certain points in the film. At one point he tries to help um, the father character, Joel McHale's character, uh, has a girlfriend who he's getting engaged to who also has a son and, and she happens to be black and her son's black. And um, she, he, the, the uh, neo-Nazi guy you know, sees, catches her cowering in one of the rooms in the house and he tries to let her slip out the side door, which, the, again, this is why I bring up the fact that she's black. He's a neo-Nazi and he's obviously struggling with his ideals and his situation. Um, so he, he tries to let her escape out the side. She ends up getting caught and brought back anyway. But now fast forward toward the end of the film, he's shown mercy to Becky a few times in the film or at least one other time prior. And when Becky has her face off with Dominic, he actually puts the the distance between Dominic and Becky that allows Becky to get to the lawnmower and kill Dominic. And then he starts this monologue to Becky where he's like, I'm so sorry, you know, I shouldn't do these things anymore. And I just thought that if maybe I should, I could help you uh, escape. And he's going down this, this monologue road of like, I'm trying to redeem myself. And she shoots him square in the freaking face. And I loved it. Um, I don't know if I'm just maybe, like I said, quarantine Matt might be a little hostile or whatever, but I loved it because the entire time in the movie, when they were showing this character have this like weird, like half ass arc of like realizing he's a shitty person after having done shitty things in the film, you know, um, they don't show the gory details, but he kills two children in a car um, while Kevin James kills their father in the car, uh, he kills those two children in order to like, I guess, take their clothes and car. Like, so I don't have sympathy for this character. I don't give a shit what they write in there to make it sound like he's coming around. I don't want to hear it. I don't want him to come around. You know what I mean? So like when the end of the movie comes and he helps Lulu, um, Becky, played by Lulu Wilson. One of these, you know, probably right when this episode's over, I'll get that pinned down. But anyway, come the end of the film, he helps the Becky character. And, um, you know, then he starts that monologue and right away my skin started to crawl. And I was like, don't give me this whole reformed man in one night thing after a life of crime and, and neo-Nazism and all this bullshit. I don't want to fucking hear. And then she bang, pulls the trigger and lets out this primal scream. She pulls the trigger, offs Mr. Half-Assed, Reformed, Terrible Human, and she drops the gun and just screams. And it's so well done. Um, the actress, Lulu Wilson, does such... A, it's just so raw and really powerful right then and there. Um, I don't know if you've ever been at that point of rage of just letting out that primal scream but there's that feeling of relief of after it's done when you've just screamed every last bit of air out of your lungs and then you just almost feel like collapsing. When you watch the Becky character plug this guy and let that scream out, you feel it like just as much as you would if it were you letting that scream out. And that scene, for some reason, again, like I said, you know, as, as the joke goes, that scene hits different when we're all locked inside and the world's on fire. But yeah, that scene really hits. And um, 
Yeah. It's one of my favorite uh, scenes, like one of my favorite singular capsulated, like two minutes of a movie in a while, because it just, it shows that, you know, there are certain situations where, you know, stuff your fucking, your, your reform, like, I don't, you know, I, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting a little too angry about that character's arc. But like I said, when they started writing it up where it started sounding like he was going to go pick flowers with Becky when this was all over, I was like, this is some bullshit because like, there's no way getting around what we already know this person is. Um, and then she plugs him and lets that scream of rage out. It also so, just so happens that part of that scream of rage, I think, is the fact that that's the end of the uh, home invasion. You know, he's the last one of that crew alive. So when she kills him, that releases all of that extra that she didn't get to exercise from herself, you know. Um, and it's just really powerful and really heavy. And like I said, you, you see that scream and just the way it plays, you feel that scream. So yeah, Becky is not fucking around. Now, um, bringing it back around to the topic of the key and the kind of ambiguity there, um, there were a couple of choices made in this movie that I did want to mention and talk about. Um, one being, you know, what we just came off of, the tail end of what we just came off of. And I'm not going to lie, I took a little break to uh, get some water and kind of refocus here because... <laughs> I was I was a little mad at Mr. Reform Nazi guy. So I, I got I got gained my composure and we're going to move on from here. But there was that arc of reform that was met with um don't want to hear it. This is what you have been this whole time. This is what you are and and you're going to face retribution for, you know, the things you've done. Um there were a couple other key things and I think the key itself is one of them in the respect that I think that there were some moments in this where it was like, you know, the Kevin James character is a very typical kind of cult leader type. He's also a very typical type of, you know, the kind of person that runs these small pocket gangs that are so such a problem in, you know, in America, as far as um, the racist element and the white power element in America is um, these groups, these gangs, they always have someone at their center that is that charismatic cult leader kind of guy. And you see some of those manipulations. Um, the Dominic character, played by Kevin James, and the Apex character. Um, Apex is the large mountain of a man that uh, thinks he's reformed, and, and Becky shoots him in the head anyway and screams. Um, so when Dominic and Apex are talking, there are a few moments where Apex is, again, seeing that reform arc kind of start and Dominic plays this guilt trip on him you know there's this like dramatic show um and these these again these uh leaders of these fringe groups they all act the same right so there's this big dramatic show of how uh the apex character is breaking Dominic's heart you know so just here take this gun and he holds the gun he makes apex hold the gun up to his heart and he says you might as well kill me now I've been in prison for you know, 10 years thinking about this day and I ran through all the situations of how this day would go wrong. Never once did I think it would be you betraying me and, you know, like all that hype up bullshit. Um, uh, it's manipulative speak is what it really is. What these guys do is they find people that need something to latch on to. They get them to latch on and then they toy with their emotions and their state um, continuously in order to keep them in their corner, in order to keep them on a leash. And, um, that, 
that scene with, between Dominic and Apex plays out exactly like that. It's it's the typical story of cult leader guy who's going to take this damaged human being, um, which, and again, don't mistake any of this as sympathy for Apex because I was pleased when he got shot in the face. So don't get that twisted at all. Um, but he's the Dominic character is taking this uh, damaged human being and latching onto him and making him latch on back and toying with him and manipulating him in moments like this, like the, oh, you're breaking my heart, man. You might as well just kill me here and things like that in order to keep Apex on Dominic's side. And that's because Dominic knows that without the... And again, you know, it's it's the the leader mentality of these cult groups, these fringe groups. Dominic knows that he needs to um, keep Apex on his side because without the cronies, Dominic is nothing. Dominic is is nothing. He's a just a piece of shit yelling racist stuff at the wall. He needs those cronies in order to to follow him. He needs them to believe that this key is going to you know, solve the world's troubles of race and things like that and not solve the world's troubles of race in a good way. Let's get that clear either also. Um, so the dominant character knows he's weak and he's using his gift of gab to uh, keep the, the, the stronger but damaged folks in his corner. And basically Apex is a bull and he knows he needs that bull. So he toys with him and, and acts like, oh, you know, this this bond that they have is being broken and Apex is hurting him and, you know, all this other crap in order to manipulate Apex to stay on the side. That all said, um, Dom is a manipulative shit, but Apex still deserved deserve to get shot in the face. But um, they did a really good job with Kevin James's monologue there, not in the respect that I, I buy into any of that crap, but that is the kind of shit that these guys sell in order to get people to follow them. And that's why it's a problem in, in so many parts of the country because, you know, these charismatic leaders, they, they take advantage of these other people who aren't in the best situation or maybe aren't the strongest-minded. And, um, yeah, they manipulate them through many different means. And you see it again later. Dominic tries to manipulate even the Becky character. Right before she torches him with a super soaker full of gasoline, he's at the campfire and he's saying, oh, you know, you're an orphan now. Here's the manipulation. Uh, again, let's identify the manipulative speak here. He goes, hey, you know, I, you know, I just realized you're an orphan now. You're going to get put into the system, this, that, the other. He says all of this knowing that he's the reason she's an orphan. So he's trying to disarm her rage by talking about her situation and distract her from the situation at hand, right? Because the situation at hand is Dominic's going to harm her. He's trying to, to distract away from, deflect away from that and talk about the situation she's going to be in beyond this. Almost like in a subtle, like, regardless if you kill me or not, you're an orphan now. You're going to end up in the system. Your life is going to be so bad, this, that, the other. You know, you should stick with me, kid. And he tries to get her over to his side using all of that same cult recruiter mentality, you know, that cult recruiter manipulative speak because he doesn't, he's trying to, like I said, drive her away from the situation that he helped create here. Um, and at this point he's, I think, fearing her a little because she's obviously shown she can stand up for herself. And, um, that he has another great monologue there where he's trying to recruit the, the, um, you know, young Becky character and take her at a fragile, you know, He's coaxing her further into a fragile state so that he can have her as fragile as possible to scoop her up kind of thing. Um, these are just 
manipulative tactics. Um, and, and it all ends with the line of, of Dominic saying, I don't want to hurt you, Becky. And Becky returns with this, again, another like put your fist in the air and, and cheer for her moment where she says, but I want to hurt you. I really want to hurt you really bad. And right there, you're like, yeah, fucking get him. And then she super soakers him with gasoline and lights him on fire. And it's pretty great. Um, so, yeah, when I say they did a good job with that side of the dialogue, they did because they represented some of the core elements of how these types of people build these groups around them. But they didn't do it in a way where you have any, not even, you know, because there's too many of these films do such a good job of showing it. Like, I shouldn't say that. They do a good job of making it, you know, digestible where you almost like, you know, it can be almost stated that you understand where they're coming from. And these are not people you want to understand where they're coming from, not even in the least. So they did a great job of it because they presented it without trying to look like they're sympathizing in any way. They presented it plainly and as see-through as it can, as it, as can be, you know, the, these are, it's not just we plugged white supremacists in here because, you know, whatever, everybody hates white supremacists. That would also be true. But they plugged white supremacists in there so that they could show how this, you know, this concocted purpose that they all seem to carry is believable. And that makes the key valuable regardless of what it actually opens. Again, going back to that ambiguity. They use these white supremacists because, again, like I said um, previously in the show um they they all have some story of some mythical thing to you know either ignite a race war or to to elevate this or do that or accomplish this or accomplish that or like i even joked about maybe it opens a footlocker with hitler's panties in it whatever the case is they always have some greater reason why they're doing this stupid shit that they're doing and that's part of that manipulative speak they know that when they give these other folks some reason to rally behind no matter how fucking silly or made up it is and and whatever it plays into the idea of grabbing a group of, of weak-minded people to follow you. And so ultimately, that's why I'm okay with the key not being clearly stated, because to me, the key is just another bullshit thing Dominic uses to rally troops behind him, to crusade for him, to do the terrible things that he's going to do for him, because Dominic is just a sociopath. And Becky is the wall, the brick wall of just raw emotion and anger and all of these things bubbling under the surface just waiting for somebody to pop the lid on it and the minute he kills her father her only remaining relative um the minute he kills her father they've let the cork out of that bottle and it's not going back in until she's done and when she's done it's that primal scream moment so there's this really as much as it's not some like super heavy subtext or anything like that, there's this really cool encapsulated story here. Um, and I think it is a, a must watch. I think it's a, you can't miss it. You know, there's not a lot of movies like it. Let's put it that way. There's not a lot of movies like it. There's even fewer movies like it right now because of the situation we're in. And I respect the hell out of it for not pulling the camera away from any of that gore that they show, which is uh, pretty great. There's a good gore level in it. You will enjoy your popcorn. You'll have a fuck yeah moment or two, and it's a good movie to, to catch you know, on your couch at home. And again, like I said, I'm a huge fan of the studios bringing these films out on VOD early. Uh, I hope it 
continues after all of this shit clears up, assuming that we aren't really just, you know, quietly marching along to our apocalypse and we have an after, um, after COVID, I hope that they keep this stuff up because, you know, I'm, I'm a dad and a husband and, um, I, uh, don't always get a chance to get out to the movies like I used to. So it's nice to be able to catch these things right away at home. First watch me and the missus after, you know, Mo goes to bed, we'll make some popcorn and, and, and have a, nice movie night and this is the this is for a horror fan for an action fan this is a movie to definitely not miss another thing i'd like you to pay attention to is that soundtrack like i said i didn't really get as far into it as i would have liked because it's kind of hard to illustrate you know the quality of a soundtrack but it's a little electronic a little almost industrial at times and uh, the sound design and the way they weave it into the into the story and into the scenes is really great so uh Keep an eye out for that. Hopefully we'll see a vinyl press of it at some point soon. That's going to do it for this episode, guys. I, I really hope that you'll you'll uh, rent or get out to the drive-in and catch Becky. Again, like I said, uh, starring Lulu Wilson, Kevin James, Joel McHale. It's, uh, it's definitely worth a watch. So I hope you guys will watch it and let me know what you think. Uh, follow. Oh, there's another thing to mention. Radio for the Creeps has its own official Twitter page. It's the only social media that I'm on right now, specifically as Radio for the Creeps. We're going to see how it goes, and maybe we'll expand and do some other things. But for now, you can follow Radio for the Creeps on Twitter at, at Radio Creeps. Um, for the didn't fit in there, because Twitter doesn't want to let me have a long name. So we're just at Radio Creeps on Twitter. Follow us there. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Please check out Becky support streaming at home. Uh, be kind to each other and, uh, yeah, take care gang. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>